This is Mighty Oaks, a programme about age. I'm Owen Hamden, and this week episode 8, titled Start the Press, in which the world of pre-digital printing and all it entails is opened up. The molten metal, the nuts and bolts, and the noise. So much noise. With print media reportedly on its last legs, in spite of investment in speedy digital technologies, I wanted to discover how printing used to be done. The natural destination was the National Print Museum, in what was the chapel of the old Beggar's Bush Barracks. The museum features many noisy contraptions dedicated to the production of the printed word, including a linotype machine used to produce metal type, line by line, hence the name. With its 90 character keyboard, creating compositions from molten metal. This is a word processor with some significant weight. So I'm just filling out the line at top. Brenda Murphy um, served me time, small printing house in the city, centre city at South William Street, moved on to commercial printing houses, then into newspapers and retired uh, six years ago, 71 now at the moment. I volunteered to help the print museum here when they want somebody to give demonstrations. As I say, under normal circumstances of the machine was working properly, you would, you would be setting a line, setting, it, setting the second line, it would hang there waiting until that's finished, and then you'd be, it's just, You'd have three lines going at the one time. Just keep setting away like that. It doesn't. It doesn't. It's not as slow as this. You know that your keyboard is right. Everything is in position, and it just keeps setting. You don't sort of stop when you set a line and check it. Right. But if there's a mistake in it, and you take it up like that after, say, do a half a dozen, and you look at it, oh, that's the line that's wrong. You have to redo that line. It can't be not like uh, erase. On a, a, a computer, you know how you can. It has to be physically stopped. I we used to set the doll debates, and the way the doll the doll debates the way the doll is sitting today or the Senate, right today, and we said are sitting till six o'clock. Excuse me, six, six o'clock in the evening. That copy was taken by a secretary, typed out, and sent over to us. We had to have that printed the next morning for the next session of the doll debate for the doll in session. Sometimes you would have, sometimes you would have a long sitting. You know, they'd be sitting maybe three or four in the morning. I remember one time Kevin Bolden was the minister for the environment, and they were changing the constituencies in the country. He spoke. Now he was just the minister. I think he spoke for something like 14 hours. Then you had 
the opposition having a few words to say. That's all for it. So you had all the party power deputies who wanted to have a, have a say. So you can imagine the amount of copy that we got in. And more, hopefully we were able to try and get as much as we could printed, set and printed for the next day. Because it was a, uh, double shifts. Day shift, night shifts. I think it was, yeah, except Saturday and Sunday. But when you had a long debate, controversial debate, it doesn't matter whether it was the, the arms trial or Kevin Boland speaking about changing the constituents, the, the, the boundaries, um, you had an awful lot of copy. Thank you for that copy. Hours and hours of it. I worked in a small family-run printing house in South William Street. It's no longer in existence. Uh, seven years apprenticeship. Then from there, when I finished my time, I went on to another small printing house in Cable Street. And from there I went on to Cal's for 16 years. Eventually I made an application to the newspapers, the Irish Press. And I was there for a good 20 odd years. It's hard to describe that. Yeah, yeah. That, that, I kind of recessed into it, the, the numbers and letters. Are... They're called mattresses. Uh, we, we, for a shorter version, mats, M-A-T-H-S, right? It has honour, Roman and italic. On the side, it's 12.E. 408. 408 means a particular font. Now, I, offhand, I don't know what it could be that one there. A 12 point sand. Particularly in Carl's. Uh, the way the system worked there, if you were an apprentice there, you had to do a verbal exam before you were taken on as an apprentice. But we say there was four vacancies for apprentices, and there were six people, or six applications. Priority went to the son of a father or a grandfather who was in the printing. I was I've never I had nobody in the printing, but if the interview went along, right, oh your dad worked here, or your dad worked there, he's the printer. The son of a father of a member, he got preference. Young man men of fourteen, fifteen years of age following the father's footsteps because it was in the family. They hated they literally have met so many of them saying, I hate this job. But the people who had to really work to get into the printing without any assistance from the families and so forth, they're the people that turned out fantastic printers. And as I was never in that position to have a family member in, in, in the printing game. But there's four of those magazines there, you see them? There's four magazines that if you wanted to change the particular, so you're using 12-point sand, you want to then use an 8-point on the same line. You move it up, set your 8, but the unfortunate thing about it was, if you had on the same line, you had different sizes of type, you have to stop the machine at this point here to separate the 12 and 8 so that the 8-point font wouldn't go into the 12 magazine. 
That's all. It's just I have to be very careful on that. Now I did a job in Cal's for father, father and guide, uh, tourist thing. And on the same line, and a couple of hundred pages of a setting, on the same line there was three different sizes of type. There was bold, italic and Roman. But on the same machine, and each magazine wouldn't have those three. Each had to separate three separate, three separate magazines. So every line I set, stopped to take the line off the bar that was, and put it into the right thing, into the right magazine. Fifty odd years working on it, I can honestly say I thoroughly enjoyed it. Even going from the various stages, from hand setting, typesetting by machinery, and then other computers. But I still, and I, at home there now, I'll still mess around with the printing end of it. They're assembled into a box to fill out the particular line. We go around the back now, and I'll show you. Come around there now, please. Stop up. Now. All the characters that are not the topping out there, that there. Underneath here is a V bar, what they call a V bar. Every letter in there has its own key, like a Yale key, own combination. So that she falls into the appropriate, the appropriate slot. So everything's recycled. I'm 71 now, so it's 60, 60, coming up to 65. I was a couple of weeks, a couple of months short of 65. I returned into March, and I was my birthday was in the September. So there was an offer on the table in the Irish Independent. Talked to the wife about it. She said, what are you waiting on? She said, you're going to be working up to 65, walking out with a week's wages, that's it. Whereas with the package, I was getting tax-free, and a couple of months later, I was then on the pension. A metal alloy is melted and injected into a mould, which includes the line of mattresses, forming one line of the final text. Now, she's coming forward, she's injecting. When you hear that bang, it's injecting the metal. That mold comes around there, injects, it does a three-quarter turn to, cut, to return to that position there, and it sends out on handle. As a demonstration of the machine's work, Brendan shows my name to type on his keyboard. It solidifies very, very quickly. In other words, by the time it does the three-quarter of a turn, it solidifies, ejects it out. Okay, well, away. Well, away this way. All right, I'll, again, I'll do it in slow motion. Separation occurs there. And there's our own handle. That's something that's still warm. As you, you actually can't handle it at times. It's that warm, but that it ha has to reach 560 degrees. Uh, my biggest fear is that, particularly even with yourself, am I getting it across right to you? Am I, you know, am I able to say? Oh yeah, that's a mat. This is this. And then, 
is it registering with yourself that you can honestly say, oh yeah, I know what he's talking about. Or just rubbish. <laughs> that makes sense to me. Well, that's, that's, that means I'm happy with that. The alloy used by this machine is made of about 86% lead, 12% antimony and 4% tin. Lead is cheap but soft and the antimony gives it solidity, while the tin, with its low melting point, makes the alloy more fluid in its molten stage. An ingot or bar of this alloy is gradually dipped into a literal melting pot of already molten metal. Yeah put on a new ingot there, onto the hoop, which is eventually of an automatic feed. It feeds from, uh, uh, like, a fishing float. There should be a float on that. When it, the level drops, the ingot travels down into the pot and keeps melting. All you have to watch is when you come to the end to replace it. That's it. You normally don't. Sometimes you can forget that you have the ingot on and it's gone. It's finished. Melted down. Oh, better put another one on. That's it. None of the metal is wasted, Brendan says, as all the used or leftover metal is gathered together and placed in the hell box. Another melting pot named for the unholy temperature needed to melt the pot's contents. It was then, when it was melted, like as you see here, it was then poured into a mould, left to cool, and it produces that. So, how, how heavy then would that be? That's fairly heavy. It's a couple of kilos. Fairly hefty. It then. is quite hefty, yeah. yeah. Once the lines of type are produced, they're assembled into paragraphs and pages of text on the stone. Originally, this was a countertop made of stone, in later years made of metal. The people involved in this stage of production were frequently women. In fact, in most printing works, women formed the majority of the workforce. In Brown and Owens, when I saved my time, there was a couple of hundred women altogether. It was the biggest uh, printing works in the British Isles at one time. My name is Eddie Gann. I served my time in Richview, Rich Brown and Owens. Uh, I served eight years as a maintenance engineer. How many were there to like, in total? In total, to be about, uh, there must have been about three or four hundred people. The workforce was a lot of women, yeah, a lot of women. Now, given this advantage of numbers, you're probably expecting to hear a woman's voice. While original print shop workforces were mostly female, the print museum's reconstituted team of volunteers contains only one woman who could not be reached to take part in this programme. Rest assured, however, women were there, in force and involved, in many parts of the production process. They worked, particularly on the, the, the bindery end, we call it the warehouse end, uh, for doing the table work. As you can see some of the pictures around the place, they did the table work, they did the folding, they did the automatic sewing, they did the uh, stitching, 
gathering, um, packing. Neil, they did. Uh, they were a lot of the force, and they fed some of the printer machines, the letter press printing machines, and that the hand-fed um, printer machines they fed. And uh, there's some machines that were treadle, you know, worked by a pedal, and they could pedal them and keep the paper and talk to the person next to them. You know, they got so used to it. Right, this is a Heidelberg platen. The form comes from the compositors with all the print in it. And when they're finished with it, they send it up to the proofers and the proofers make the corrections and that. So when it goes over to the printer, they'll call the printer over or they'll send it out, that there's your form print. So the printer will take it and it just clips in. In the olden days when I was serving my time, the machine, a new machine coming in, it came in in cases and they were marked one, two, three, four, right up. So you had number one was the bed and every nut and screw that went into them, you had to put, build it on the floor where it was going to be. Nowadays, they open a crate, they roll the machine in, they put power to it, and it's away. It's running. It's built over in the factory, tested in the factory, and it comes over ready to run. And that's how you learned where all the parts went. Now, I had to know how to... Well, when a brand-new machine would come in, I'd be with the uh, engineer maybe from Switzerland, Germany, or England, and he would teach me all the different parts where they went and that, and that's how I learned how to mend the machines. If something broke, I knew where to go. Um, fault finding, I knew exactly where to go. So then, when the machine would be up, we would have to commission it. So I would be with the engineer commissioning the machine, so I knew how to set it up. When a printer comes, he gets his form with the print in it, and he fits it into the machine. He may have to put some packing behind it to bring the print out. Now, when he has it in, he'll bring the guard down and... He will let the machine run because at the back of the machine, <coughs> over the form, there's a big cylinder. Behind the cylinder, there's a series of rollers. Two steel, and three rubber rollers. You put ink into what's known as the ink duct. You set how much ink you want to come out. You run the machine, and after about five minutes of running, you will have an even coat of ink on the, the master cylinder to go down onto the print. So you won't have too much ink. The printer will let, let it run. The machine run for about five minutes. The ink will smooth itself out and you'll get a lovely sheen of the ink when the rollers come off the main cylinder down onto the print. If a part broke on the machine, you had to know how to strip it. Now, 
it's not just straightforward just taking the part out you might have to strip uh, the side covers off you might even have to prop the cylinder up and take parts of it out if gears broke and if he's happy with it he will fill his feeder up with the proper paper now he will fill right maybe three or four hundred sheets and he will start it up he starts running he will run maybe two or three dozen sheets he will stop it then he will take a sheet out he will bring it up to the foreman and the foreman will look at it he if it has to be folded he will fold it and check that the print is spot on spot on when i was more or less coming near retiring you know everything was electronics so nine times out of ten if you were out on a job it could run from mechanical electrical and that so you had to learn electronics as well a little bit of electrical and everything even for setting up the machines nowadays it's all done by electric and if something goes out of sync goes out of timing or anything it's an electronics engineer comes in puts in his laptop and yeah that's it and he will set it with his laptop where the ordinary operator can mess around and do damage he won't be able to set it unless he has the, the proper uh, equipment for it so uh, it's gone from hand fed leather press to sitting down in a suit watching the print coming out so the foreman is happy printer is happy he just starts it off now when he has it running some sheets coming out he will put it on impression by pulling a lever out in front of the machine which the whole bed of the machine is on an eccentric and it will push it in and you'll have a couple of ton pressure on the print so I finished up I was working up to 70 71 and then just before the the crisis with the the bank I retired and that's I could be still working I still get call outs but I, I don't uh, go to them now when I retired I came down to the print museum and I offered my services voluntary to the print museum because they have a lot of machines that I worked on in the olden days when I was serving my time and I'm down here ever since I run the machines I give demonstrations and I print on them and I mend them when they're broke blowing on the delivery where it's blown down onto the sheet to make sure the sheet goes into the feeder. Oh, that's why I'm deaf from industrial. That's, on, that's mild to the noise that you would have if you were in a... If you were in a... Now, I, I worked in a big printer works when I was the in-house engineer. And it was, you'd have maybe three of those. You'd have bigger machines that would maybe 
across the floor, they had webs. And in the olden days, it wasn't compulsory to wear earmuffs. So I never wore, being an engineer, wore earmuffs or anything like that. That's why I suffer from industrial deafness. Now you have to have earmuffs and uh, plugs in your ear and that. But the noise would be fantastic. And you picture, you'd have the noise of the printing machines. And as Brendan said, you had maybe 10, 12 of those. You'd have a web machine printing a newspaper. So you can picture the noise. Now, if there was tremendous noise here, I could hear you perfectly. You know, no problem. That's why I have to speak loud, because I can't hear myself talking. Uh, on account of the noise of the machine. But there's only that. The likes of that machine there, a mono keyboard on that, and where I served my time, we had eight of those. We had about, oh, about 12 of those. Uh, up there and when they're all clattering away together there's some noise in the printing works now the machines are now are much much quieter and that even the, the webs that run are much quieter in those days you see you have all open open gears on them particularly the big machines down there you've open gears so the noise of the open gears nowadays they well, the gears were straightforward gears, one into the other. Now they have what's known as helicon gears and bevel gears, which make it much more quieter. But uh, the noise, yes, definitely would be very, very strong. And nearly everybody that came out of the printer worked with that. That's it for this week. Mighty Oaks was produced and edited by me. Our theme tune is Canteen Rag by Jackson F. Smith. To listen back to previous episodes of Mighty Oaks, just go to soundcloud.com slash mightyoaks. To subscribe to Mighty Oaks as a podcast, go to feeds.feedburner.com slash mightyoakspodcast or search for Mighty Oaks in iTunes. If you have any thoughts about the show, email us at mightyoaksradio at gmail.com I'm Owen Handen. Thanks very much for listening.